I'm gonna gather us back together. And let me start us off with prayer. God, thank you uh, for this camp. Thank you for the opportunity to have some fun and play and awesome songs and and then now sit at your word and um, receive. And will you be with us in our time today? In Jesus' name, amen. God is good all the time. God is good all the time. So I have to do that in my church because 10 a.m. is when we meet and it gives them energy and it gives me energy to hear them calling back to me. But good morning. I see uh, many new faces this morning, so nice of you to join us. Um, And if you weren't here last night, as a recap, if you'd like to stream on Netflix or watch shows previously on Labor Day Family Camp, we learned that life was an undercooked butterball turkey. (laughs) And I promise you that, um, you know, my wife said, maybe you should get rid of the turkey metaphor. It's just a little overplayed. And so I promise you, I won't bring up turkeys today. But we turned the page yesterday, last night we were in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus' encounter with Jesus. Nicodemus, if you remember, is a Pharisee, a member of the Sanhedrin, the top of the top of religious leadership in Israel and Jerusalem. And he comes under the cover of night uh, to have a conversation with Jesus because Jesus had something or represented something or embodied something Um, that he was missing, and he wanted to learn more about it. And Jesus said, hey, you need to look in a different way. You need to pivot and be born anew. And so we're going to continue on that. We're just going to turn the page from John chapter 3 and go to the next chapter, the next page, John chapter 4, and the interaction between Jesus and the woman of Samaria, the woman at the well, you you may have heard. And his conversation with this woman. Um, But before I do that, I wanted to bring up a slide here. Actually, let me read the scripture passage. I'm in John chapter 4. I'm going to read from verse 1 through 26 in the Common English Bible version. Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was making more disciples and baptizing more than John, although Jesus' disciples were baptizing, not Jesus himself. Therefore, he left Judea and went to Galilee. Jesus had to go through Samaria. He came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, which was near the land Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus was tired from his journey. So he sat down at the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to the well to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me some water to drink. His disciples had gone into the city to buy him some food. The Samaritan woman asked, why do you, a Jewish man, ask for something to drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Jews and Samaritans didn't associate with each other. Jesus responded, If you recognize God's gift and who is saying to you, give me some water to drink, 
you would be asking him, and he would give you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you don't have a bucket, and the well is deep. Where would you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave this well to us, and he drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks from the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. The water that I give will become in those who drink it a spring of water that bubbles up into eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will never be thirsty and will never need to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, get your husband, and come back here. The woman replied, I don't have a husband. You're right to say, I don't have a husband, Jesus answered. You've had five husbands, and the man you are with now isn't your husband. You've spoken the truth. The woman said, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you and your people say that it is necessary to worship in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Believe me, woman, the time is coming when you and your people will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You and your people worship what you don't know. We worship what we know because salvation is from the Jews. But the time is coming and is here when true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. The Father looks for those who worship him this way. God is spirit. And it is necessary to worship God in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will teach everything to us. Jesus said to her, I am the one who speaks with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this is one of my favorite passages and conversations in Scripture. And in the book of John, the Gospel of John, there's many interactions that people have with Jesus, conversations, one-on-one, face-to-face conversations where Jesus uh, basically calls out what's inside the person and has a discipleship moment. This is what's happening. And usually there's a metaphor, right? A metaphor in, with Nicodemus, it's the spirit, the wind, right? And he, he, he turns that into uh, a deeper kind of spiritual lesson about being born anew, about being led by the spirit. Here, we see water, a well, the physical act of drinking and thirst. And Jesus pushes in and presses in uh, to talk about spiritual thirst, the thirst and hunger of the heart, and offers himself up as the living water from which if you drink, you'll never thirst again. So um, I think it's really beautiful to... um, pay attention to how Jesus interacted with people, how he spoke with people, how he treated people. And um, John 3 and John 4 are really special in that way. Um, But before moving on, I have a couple photos here. If you can bring up the first photo. Has anyone heard bounded set versus centered set? Bounded set versus centered set, maybe in your churches, blah, blah, blah. I think it started off as a mathematical uh, term or um, 
But basically, bounded set means there's, it, there is a, the circle represents a distinct boundary, right? The boundary, say, church of a church, your congregation, your community, and those who are within those walls or within that circle or within that line is in, and those who are out are out. And so as when we invite people to church, come to church, come visit on Sunday, we are inviting them into a community, into a bounded set many times. The problem or the issue that comes is we don't necessarily have the self-awareness to acknowledge that the inness is a culture in and of itself. Does that make sense? Like all of our communities, all of our groups of friends, all of our church families have, all of our families have an ethos, right? Have a culture, have ways that we do things, have what we call good or bad. And so when someone is invited into the bounded set inside, they're actually stepping into having a cross-cultural moment, right? They're... They're saying in order, they're realizing or feeling maybe indirectly that in order to be inside, I need to dress this way. I need to what? I need to be in this social economic status. I need to be educated, have a college degree, whatever it is. Uh, I need to speak this language. I need to like this type of music. I need to have this type of faith background. I need to have faith. My past shouldn't be shady, <laughs> whatever it is. Um, I need to be married. I can't be divorced. Whatever it is, I need to have this uh, kind of political stance. Uh, people feel it that as they come into a bounded set, they're entering into a culture. Alternatively, uh, the next slide, you may have heard centered set, right? And the centered set model Jesus, or the cross, Christ, is at the center. And what's important is that Christ holds everything together. And wherever people are, they may be way off in the edge of our slide right there, or way really close. I've gone to church all my life. I've followed Jesus all my life. I'm here. I'm in the church. I'm serving in the church right near that cross right there. It's not distance is, and proximity is not so important as the direction that you're walking. Does that make sense? So someone who's been close to the cross for all their life um, could be that close but might be walking away from Christ. Might be walking in a totally different direction whereas someone um, who's not Christian or not religious or not spiritual, hasn't been a part of the church, feels very far away from Christ, could be walking towards him, right, with their heart and their thirst and their seeking. And so uh, we like to talk about this at Renew. Um, there's a tension, right? What is it? We, there, the questions that people ask are, what are the standards? Like, there's got to be some lines. What are the non-negotiables of, you know, following Jesus? When you follow Jesus, won't he address some of like, you know, our sins and, you know, our idolatries or um, what does it look like, you know, to be a Christian or what should a Christian community 
look like. But at the same time, we want to be inclusive. We want to be open. We want to uh, acknowledge that Jesus actually dwells in the margins, right? That Jesus oftentimes goes out of the center. In fact, he is the center, and he's calling people wherever they're at closer to him, to walk towards him. In fact, he's running towards many people. And so the challenge for our churches, the challenge for us is, what does it look like for us both to uh, run towards Jesus, to walk towards Jesus, to continually say, it's not the externals, it's not my turkey skin. Oh, I brought up turkey. Right? It's not the stuff I do on the exterior, but it's, you know, how, I, how my relationship is with Jesus. How, are, how is the intimacy between me and my Lord? Um, and that's, that's what's important. Are you with me, church? Awesome. Um, and when I look at these two interactions in John chapter 3 and John chapter 4, with Nicodemus, if you can go back to the bounded set, Nicodemus represents um, the in, right? The Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, the religious elite in Jerusalem. He is the epitome. He is the model of who is in. And so we talked about last night the Pharisees walking around flaunting their turkey, right? This, look at how golden we are. Look at how good we are. This is what it means to be righteous. This is the model of following the law, following the rules um, in order to be, uh, pursue righteousness. And everything else, um, everything else is on the outside. And so we hear, you may have heard and learned about in church, in Sunday school, um, kind of unclean versus clean. What does it mean to be in and what does it mean to be out? And a lot of times, this wasn't just about the law, but it was tied to ethnicity, right? And placidness, where you are from, who your lineage is, what nation you're from. There's Jew and there's Gentile. And in our passage, there's Samaritan and there's Jew. There's in and there's out. There's clean and unclean. Um, but if we can hit the next slide. But as we uh, turn the page to John chapter 4, we see um, that Jesus is busting out of these boundaries, right? He's saying, no, it's not about who's in and out. It's not. And Nicodemus knows this, right? Nicodemus comes to him under the in darkness, right? There's something, there's something intriguing. There's something that's calling out to him. I'm not satisfied. I'm dissatisfied. This isn't working for me. My religion is not working for me. I don't feel it. And so he comes from the inside, in the darkness, out to the margins to meet with Jesus. Amen? And Jesus gives him something new. Jesus says, you need to be born again. And so when we go back uh, to the woman at the well, it's Jesus who's coming out to the outsides, to the margins, right? Jesus is the center, the center set, coming out to the woman, meeting her where she is at. And the scripture says that 
Jesus and his disciples, they're getting heat. There's drama with the Pharisees, right? He's getting heat. He's dis uh, his disciples are baptizing more than John's disciples, even though Jesus wasn't uh, baptizing people. Um, he's starting to get this envy, the rage of envy. And so they leave the center. They leave Jerusalem. And the scripture says that he had to go through Samaria. He chose to go through Samaria, which in and of itself is unorthodox, right? Uh, Jews and Samaritans, we'll probably have to bring, uh, go over that background, but Jews and Samaritans had tension. Samaritans were basically the half-breed Jewish people back in their Assyrian kind of uh, domination. Um, the Samaritans were those who stayed behind during the occupation, the Assyrian occupation, and intermarried, right? So if you notice, the woman's like, our father Jacob, right? She shares, she recognizes, Jacob's your father? Jacob's my father too. I come from Jacob. But what would it be like to be um, of the same family, yet be recognized as um, your enemy, right? To be recognized as untouchable or to be recognized as unclean. That's the tension. That's the kind of uh, vitriol that the Jewish people saw the Samaritans. So much so that they would avoid, they take the longer route um, to get to where they're going if it meant going around Samaria and not going through Samaria. So Jesus instead right, breaks all of those social mores, breaks the religious tradition, breaks the rules of being clean and unclean, and cuts through Samaria. And I think Jesus really wants to speak with this woman. It's really important to him. That's why he pivots away from the regularly trodden path to go through Samaria to meet with this woman. Not only is ethnicity or culture or race a part of this tension, um, there are a lot more reasons that he shouldn't be interacting with this woman, that he shouldn't be speaking with this woman. One, he's a Jewish man and she's a Samaritan woman. Just being man and woman, a rabbi, a teacher, a male teacher, meeting alone with the woman. If we re uh, remember, his disciples, they were hangry, right? They've been traveling through Samaria and the disciples are, we need to go get some food because Peter's hangry and you don't want to... Peter to be hangry too long because we're going to be getting in some fights here. So they leave to go get food. Jesus is alone with this woman, and this woman has, is alone at the well. And we learn later more a little bit about her life, her situation. Jesus says to her, in fact, you, uh, the man you're living with is not your husband. Uh, you've had five husbands. So she's had, you know, a past. She has a past. Um, we don't know specifically what's going on. A lot of times when we approach this passage, we kind of use this woman as, oh, she's a sinful woman. She's been living in sin, and Jesus comes and reconciles her to God, right? Woohoo! Um, but I think we're supposed to see something really different than that. Not that she's someone who's living in shame, 
and a bad person and a bad life going from man to man. And now Jesus is going to offer her salvation that she's going from the outside to the center, right? And, and can change her life, repent and change and be brought inside. But rather, it's about Jesus making the effort to meet someone who's very important to him, who actually is built, has been shaped for worship. Amen? Like everything in our past and everything in our makeup has been built to meet the Messiah on this day, in this moment, and to worship in spirit and truth and to become one of the first past preachers and evangelists in Scripture, right? This woman is important to Jesus. And you, me, whoever is here, we are important to Jesus. Jesus bungee cord jumps to go get us, right? He's in hot pursuit of you. And maybe you're in a place where I'm not hearing from God. Like, where is God? Why have I been abandoned? Or you may be in a place where you're living in deep, deep shame. Like, I haven't been living the life. In fact, I've got the secret over here. Or I'm in this pattern and I just can't get out of it. I know it's not good for me. I just can't get out of it. And I need to clean myself up. Right? I need to clean myself up before I can come and be with Jesus, before I can go and be in my church communities, before I can serve. I hear that all the time. You know, I talk a lot with people, uh, especially young adults, who have left the church, right? And they're like, ah, you know, church isn't for me, and actually I need to get my life together before I come back to church. I need to have kids before I come back to church. I need to, to get it right. But you know where that comes from? That comes from a bounded set mentality, right? Amen? It's like, I need to get it right and clean things up before I can be in church. And it's there. It's like we're saturated with it. But Jesus is like, no. It's like, no. I love you. I have living water. And he takes the time and he makes the effort and he reveals he's vulnerable before the woman, right? He asks the woman for water. I'm parched. I'm thirsty. It's in the heat of the day in the desert. Can you give me water? And it's the woman who says, what? This doesn't make sense. Who, who are you, a Jewish man, that would ask me, a Samaritan woman, for water? This should not happen. This interaction should not happen. It doesn't happen. And when we think about that contextually, like, who are the people around us, right? That if the church were to love on them or interact with them. If you were in your life to interact with someone, they would be like, whoa, that's weird. Right? I never had a conversation like that with someone like you. I never, you know, 
knew a church that did that, right? Who are you? So, we are going to talk about food. (laughs) Do you remember the last time you were really, really thirsty? Or really, really hungry? The last time I felt really hungry is when I did one of those uh, no-carb, no-sugar diets. Because I love carbs and I love sugar. Uh, but, you know, I wanted to cut some weight, so, hey, let's, you know, stop all carbs, let's try to stop all sugars. Um, so, international delight, I like the sweet creamer in my coffee, gone, right? No more triple grande dirty chai lattes, gone. And no more dun-dun-dun steam white rice, right? Gone. I mean, you have to understand, I grew up on rice. I grew up eating rice every day, right? Rice is the canvas upon which all eating artistry happens. <laughs> Do you love steak? Steak and rice. Do you love Korean ribs? Ribs and rice. Do you love chili? Chili and rice. Are you gluten-free? Are you into gluten-free vegetarianism? Grilled veggies and rice. Rice is gluten-free. Spicy pork tofu soup, right? Sundubu and rice. Do you love undercooked raw turkey? Pharisaical turkey and rice. But I could have the juiciest of all meats. But if I have not rice, then I have nothing. I could, dub, I could dine with the greatest of people before great symphonies and choirs. But if I have not rice, it's but a clanging cymbal. Rice in all the things we eat. So a no-carb diet, psh, absurdity. Hunger, such deep hunger combined with irritability. <laughs> Low energy, slothfulness. My family was like, no more no-carb diets. Or just do an all-rice diet, because you aren't good to be around. Uh, A quick story about thirsty. Have you ever been thirsty? Really, when's the last time you've been thirsty? Uh, I used to wrestle in high school. And in order to cut weight back in those days when there were less rules around that, we used to carry around 32-ounce Big Gulp cups, emptied, and spit into them. And I'd carry them, you know, through all my periods. First period, second period, third period, fourth period. Um, <laughs> until it would fill up, right? That's more than two pounds. Four pounds at least because saliva is more dense than water or a soda. Um, so it'd fill up. And I can remember one day I was trying to cut weight and I was spitting, very healthy, right? This is a very healthy situation. Um, and I was, the bell rang and it was between classes and I was rushing to class and I bumped into a girl. I, I think I had a crush on her too. And it just went, Psh! so 
You can take that image. If you remember anything, just that right there. Um, but when we're extremely hungry or when we're extremely thirsty, uh, our minds can play tricks on us, right? When I was really, really hungry, um, I used to see like bowls of rice out there, like apparitions, right? Like a, it's some sort of oasis, you know? I'm seeing things, and I would dream about food. Um, and my son Isaiah, one, one day, uh, I was feeding one when he was much younger, I was feeding him some chicken over rice. And he was like, mmm, chicken and rice, chicken and rice. I love chicken and rice. Rice, 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 rice. And all of a sudden, I noticed that he was crying. He was like, Appa, 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 my food. And I realized that instead of feeding him, I was like subconsciously feeding myself. <laughs> um, so, you know, when we're hungry, we'll steal food from our children, right? Forget about taking care, you know, spreading the gene pool. It's like, give me that. Right? And if we're in survival, survival mode, if we're on Survivor, I'll eat you if I'm hungry. When we're hungry or thirsty, our body's natural response is to crave and desire. And it's the same in life, psychologically, spiritually, mentally. When we're hungry, sometimes we see things. And we don't see things right. Or we become a little more selfish, a little more greedy. And we reach a little more. We extend ourselves a little more to get that which doesn't actually satisfy. And I know we've all been through that. I know the last three years, there were times where, see, I like to, I'm a workaholic. I like to stay busy. Busy, 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 busy. I like it when I have a lot of plates spinning because I'm afraid that if I were to stand still, I would begin to feel everything that I'm trying to avoid feeling, right? Again, more healthy stuff, right? So work is my coping mechanism. And so over COVID, during the, uh, the height of the quarantine, when we weren't meeting in person as a church, we were doing online uh, stuff. And, you know, besides recording, you know, we had to become... Uh, televangelist overnight if you're a pastor, right? Recording in front of a camera. You know, there's only a certain amount of baking bread or gardening that you can do before you're like, I'm tired of baking bread. I'm tired of gardening, right? I'm not good at it. And you're just left sitting there in your home. You're in your show hole, Right? Netflix, you're all Netflixed out. You've watched every single Netflix series, every, every single thing on Prime Video, and you're like, now what? And the world is burning down around us. Right? And the nation is in an uproar. And we've seen that, man, as a nation, we're not over the race thing. We, don't, we never got it. It's actually been bubbling up. It's been there all along. In fact, even worse. 
And it's showing up because when people are hungry, they get greedy. And when people get greedy, systems begin to oppress. Systems take away. Injustice rears its head even more vividly. And that's why everything exploded. Think about who lost their jobs. Think about who suffered health-wise. It's because our world was hungry and starving. And we didn't know what was happening. We didn't know where the end would be. We didn't know if there would be a bailout, a safety net, right? When we are famished or parched, we get crazy. Like I said, we'll eat our kids' food to get that thing. When we are empty, we start craving and we start consuming and we start sucking. When we are truly filled and satisfied, we start pouring out. But let's return uh, to the woman. Jesus asked her for water to drink and they continue to have an interaction and Jesus said if you knew who it was that was asking you for a drink of water you would ask them for so much more because I have water that if you drink of it you'll never thirst again never thirst again and we see like the genius of Jesus as a conversationalist, right? Again, taking the physical, external kind of interaction and, and turning it into a spiritual, emotional, inner conversation, um, a much deeper conversation. Because the woman is thirsting as well. She's thirsty. And Jesus came to her, went to her intentionally. He said, give her living water. And it's just, it's not just a side, you know, here's this, you know, little water off to the side, right? The disciples are gone. The guys who following him, who he's teaching on a daily basis are gone. But it's to this woman that he reveals. Jesus doesn't do this very often. In fact, he kind of hides the messianic identity, right? But she says, I know that one day the Messiah is coming and he will tell us things, right? And you can also hear like the pain in her voice, um, not just about her past life, but kind of the ethnic injustices, right? Our father Jacob, you Jews say that the only place to worship is in Jerusalem. But we worship at Mount Gerizim, right? We had the same ancestry. We had the same father. And I know the Messiah is coming. We know the same scriptures. But you guys say, we're not righteous. We're unclean. How we do things is not right is not pure, is not good. You Jews. 
And to her, Jesus says, that Messiah who you're looking for, who you're waiting for, I am he. And in your scriptures, it might be capitalized, right? I am, like I am that I am. I am the Messiah. I am God. And the time is coming and it's here now that all this crap, all the rules, all the lines, all the boundaries, all the unnecessary stuff that hurts people or prevents people from having access to my Father, access to worship, all the cultural crap that we put in the way of people coming, that's going to be over with. And people will be worshiping in spirit and truth. Amen? What would it look like to worship in spirit and truth? In spirit and truth. Where am I? (laughs) Jesus offers... Uh, her the greatest key, the great secret of his mission. Spirit and truth. I am the Messiah. And if you continue to read, the disciples come back, hey, we've got Taco Bell, we've got Burger King. Let's eat. Jesus, what are you doing talking to this, this woman? What are you doing? We're hungry. Let's eat, 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 eat. And they're focused on the physical and they're focused, they're probably looking down on her as well. Like, this is kind of, you know, shady. This, is, you sh- this shouldn't be happening. Come on, Jesus. This doesn't look right. And, uh, and the woman actually drops her jar and she leaves back to her town. The very reason why she came in the first place to the well alone at the heat of the day, right, was the water jar, to fill the water jar. She completely forgets it, just leaves it. Because there's something... There is the water that's filling her. She's so excited. She's just been met. She's just been seen. She's just been heard. Amen? Because that's what God does. When when people have come into contact with Jesus Christ, the creator of the world, when the Holy Spirit is moving, people don't feel rejected. People don't feel outside. What do people feel? Seen, heard, empowered. Amen? And this is how she feels. So she drops everything and runs to her town. We don't know how the town sees her. Like, is she popular? Is she a person looked down upon? But it says, she goes to everyone and says, Come! Come see this person who's told me everything about myself. And they're like, we want to see for ourselves. And the disciples, meanwhile, are grumbling. Ah, let's eat. Let's get out of here. Right? What's happening? What's the next mission? And Jesus, what does he say? Look up and look out. Right? You can see the people coming. And Peter's like, 
I'm hangry and there's more people to minister to. Like, I'm out of you. Like, no. But he's like, look up and look out. The harvest is ripe. Right? Other people sowed. You didn't even do anything. But you are going to reap today. And a whole town comes to Jesus. And that, that's a whole nother sermon, right? right? Women can't preach in the church? Shoot. Here's an example right here. Jesus crosses boundaries. Jesus breaks down the bounded sets that we set up. Jesus moves beyond culture, beyond what's inside, to move, um, to activate. This woman is activated, right? It's not that she didn't know about God, knew nothing about God, about Yahweh. She did. It's not that she didn't even worship God. She did. Maybe in her own place, in her own way, what she did. But for some reason, she was pushed to the side, right? And Jesus, because he spoke to her and loved on her, activated her. You know, when I was first moving into think, uh, thinking about going from campus ministry, I was with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship for nine years, um, most of it at the University of Washington. And I was thinking about church planning, becoming a pastor. Um, you know, God put it on my heart and, and one of the, uh, Urbana, uh, that I wanted to be, participate in planting a multi-ethnic church in Seattle. And I held on to that for like four years before I finally left IV and then um, went to seminary. I worked as a post, uh, postman for two years and uh, finally, I um, starting to talk with the denomination and meeting with a small group in my home. And every time I would talk to denominational people or other church planners or people in charge, like, oh, yeah, I want to start a church. They would be like, oh, like a Korean church, right? An Asian church? It's like in college when... Uh, all your friends, the one Asian girl in your class, they'd be like, oh, she's cute. You should get along. You should go out with her. It's like, what the heck? Are you matchmaking all Asians together? Come on. But there are subtle ways that we marginalize and overt ways that we marginalize people. That we say, this is in, this is dominant, and that is out. And the problem is, is again, we ask people to assimilate into who, the bounded set in order to be a part of us rather than like Jesus pivoting outward and going to where people are at, bungee cord jumping and asking them for water and having real dialogue. Amen? And we can all learn from one another. We can all and should sit 
at the feet of people who look different from us and learn, right? Rather than, Dave, you know, how's your Korean church doing? How is your Asian American church doing? How about, wow, what does it mean to do multi-ethnic ministry at Renew? Those are the types of things. Um, that's just a personal example, but what is it for you? Like one, how have you been thirsting and hungering in your life right now? And out of that hunger and being parched, what kind of choices do we make to fulfill that? What kind of places do we go to that aren't Jesus, aren't satisfying. I know those are there. And then when we're filled, we're truly filled by life-giving water, we can't help but pour out, just like this woman, amen? When God fills us, there's abundance, it's limitless. And so we're just like, man, water? I was thirsty, but now, right? Who are the people that are hungering and thirsting around you today? In your neighborhood, um, in your schools, in your places of work, in your churches? And what does it mean to talk water with them? Let's pray. God, Thank you for your word. Thank you that you are the living water um, that is for all people. That we are all children of God and that we all hunger and thirst after you. That we are all the Imago Dei. And I pray that as we are filled here in this place and as we go out from this place um, with your spirit, with your goods, um, that we are also convicted and sent out uh, to talk water, to offer um, you to people around us, our neighbors. In Jesus' name, amen.